This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh Every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, Soul and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The only right way to do plus size fashion is not to do plus size fashion. It's to do fashion for women. There is a comfort and a trust that's built by what you're literally putting out there visually, brand messaging wise and accessibility wise. It's not an apparel change, it's a culture change. And that kind of thing does not happen in one move. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. The market for plus-size fashion is worth nearly $30 billion in the U.S. alone. But while brands are upping marketing rhetoric and imagery to include a wider range of body types, many companies are still failing to serve the plus-size customer in the way they want to be served. In this episode of the BOF Podcast, our chief correspondent Lauren Sherman speaks with Marie Denay, creator and editor-in-chief of The Curvy Fashionista, Alexandra Waldman, the co-founder and creative director of Universal Standard, and our senior editorial associate, Alexandra Mondelec, to talk about the right way to do plus size.
Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone wherever you are. My name is Lauren Sherman. I am BOF's chief correspondent. Today we're here. I'm I'm joined by Alexandra Mondalek, our senior editorial associate at BOF, covering marketing, advertising, and a lot of other interesting things. Um, we also have Marie Denis, creator and editor in chief of the Curvy Fashionista, and Alexandra Waldman co-founder and creative director of Universal Standards. So because we have two Alexandras, I'm going to be referring to BOF's Alexandra as Alex and Alexandra Waldman as Alexandra as the conversation goes on. And today we are going to be talking about Alex's article, What Fashion Can't Seem to Get Right About the Plus Size Market, which you can access as part of your BOF professional subscription. I hope you've read it, but if you haven't, our team is going to share the link and you can you can glance over it or read it after the discussion. So we're going to get into the finer points of the piece and, and talk about some broader challenges in this industry and also some progression in this industry. And Alexandra and Emery are both, you know, experts and people who, who lead these conversations. So I'm just thrilled to have them on today. So let's just get started. Alex, what what was the sort of impetus of this story? And can you kind of break down, there are so many topics within this market and category that we could discuss, but what, what was your sort of mission when you were reporting out this piece? Contextualized against the pandemic, um, when retailers were really cutting back their assortment to only the best selling or highest margin products, we wanted to take a look and see what was going on in the, the plus space um, at that time. And it was really interesting to see that so many retailers, even before coronavirus, had introduced new size ranges uh, to appeal to a broader uh, group of consumers. And then within a couple of years or even over just a few seasons, they would slowly discontinue those lines. And so the goal for this piece really was to kind of outline the reasons why that happens. And, you know, for, for the retailers, they would basically just say a lot of these brands would say, you know, oh, well, it just wasn't selling, but that doesn't seem to be um, in line with the demand that we hear from consumers, which is, you know, uh, we want more offerings. We want better offerings that actually fit. And we're here. And I'm sure, you know, Alexandra and Marie have a lot to say about this community idea um, that's that's very active. Uh, and so what we found in this piece is that for a lot of um, fashion players in the space, not only were there um, discrepancies in, in their marketing so that, you know, the imagery or or the language that was used maybe turned off those consumers, but there was also maybe a limited assortment in what they were offering. Um, the way that they talk about sizing uh, did not necessarily correspond to uh, what the, the market expects. And then also something that's really interesting to me that I learned about in reporting this piece is that the retail experience, both online and in store for these customers is so different. And uh, I mean, even I think you could go so far as to say discriminatory for a lot of these consumers. And so um, all of those things together kind of create a storm where the the offerings didn't sell. Um, and so, so that was the impetus, really. So we're really focused today on traditional apparel brands that want to go want to expand their sizing range and and 
that's that's kind of what Alex's piece went into. But I I want to hear from Marie and Alexandra, and maybe we can start with Alexandra. Can you talk a bit about Universal Standard and when you started the business, what your sort of thesis was, and and how the your approach differentiates from a traditional apparel line in terms of of sizing? I think that for us, the roadmap that we had laid out for ourselves um, was very gradual. We knew that we wanted to create a brand that did not discriminate by size, but we had to do it in a way that worked as a business. So we started with the most underserved part of the market. Um, but we definitely started talking about extending sizes in both directions almost from day one. And we went from 10 to 28, and then we extended, and then we extended once again to our full size range, which is double zero to 40. Um, It is the largest commercially available size range in the world for things that are not bespoke, obviously. Uh, But the idea was to literally remove that divider between the haves and the have-nots, the us and them, um, the whole idea that 70% of American women, you know, are marginalized into a, you know, specialty clothing category, which does not make any sense at all. So we really felt that the only right way to do plus-size fashion is not to do plus-size fashion. It's to do fashion for women, And that, you know, extending sizes, whether it be through baby steps or through, you know, a big sort of gesture towards this population, this community, was really the only way to move forward into a future where I could walk into any store, regardless of what that label is, and buy something for myself um, that was not simply a scented candle, (laughs) but actually, you know, an outfit. I want to later go into how you actually did it and, and what you think about some of these sort of pushbacks from traditional brands on, on not being able to, to enter this market or successfully sustain their businesses in this market. But first, Marie, you've been covering this market and also consulting for this market for you know more than a decade Curious to know from you when when you first launched the Curvy Fashionista, what what the opportunities for women who who were not a size zero to ten were in terms of product, and we can talk about whether plus size is the appropriate word or what words are appropriate today. But but curious to know what was the market like then in terms of availability of product, and what does it look like now and and how do you think the more traditional brands, like what's your big picture view on, on how they've reacted and addressed this in the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as you look at how social media has grown, has developed, it has been, there's like a one-to-one correlation with how the plus size industry has grown. Social media has helped literally advance and it's, One thing that's very nuanced and different about plus size, and specifically the plus size space, it's very grassroots up versus where mainstream is top down. Um, That's in trends, that's in fashion, that's in community. You have a lot of things that kind of burst from and have taken the industry and helped grow the industry up. And 13 years ago, I think there were, everything was kind of spread out. There wasn't a contemporary space you had that void of contemporary plus size fashion 
you had your big box stores and then you had some of your bespoke designers, but you didn't have anything in between that contemporary fashion forward, um, especially indie designers. And over the years, we have seen more independent um, designers, and a lot of them happen to be independent designers of color who've helped kind of usher in the growth awareness and um, conversation around inclusion in the plus size fashion space. And so nowadays, like you have designers or brands who come in and sometimes I have noticed or observed a disconnect from like community and industry versus like the straight size fashion industry or like the mainstream fashion space. And it's always kind of like, oh, here, let me save you. Let me help you. Where it's like, girl, just make just give us good clothes. Like that's all we need. And so I think sometimes there's a miscommunication that has been a miscommunication or you've seen brands today who have kind of definitely done those missteps where they don't include plus people in their marketing. They don't include um, in their advertisement, in their social media. And then they wonder why nobody's engaging them because the consumer doesn't know. And just like how you make different avatars for your straight size consumers, like those need to be made too for your plus because we're not a monolith. And I think because of the growth that we've seen over the years, those same marketing kind of traditions, like applying and creating different consumer personalities are going to be just as relevant in the plus space. And so now we're starting to see the different types of plus shoppers. And I think a lot of brands are kind of missing that and they're just trying to big one broad stroke. And so that is where like folks like myself will speak up and speak out and be like, Hey, that's not how it's supposed to go, or that's no longer true. And so right now I find ourselves in an education and understanding and kind of a trying to come and like meet here. And so instead of the brand trying to talk at, or this is what you are, this is what you need. This is what we're going to give you. There's a meeting of the minds now and understanding like, Oh, well, we can't do that because it's not selling. Like, how do we meet this plus size consumer? Who, who are they? Because it's no longer a she, it's a they. There's multiple different types. And so I think people are one, acknowledging the 67 to 70%. They're realizing that in the growth cycle, there's like, we're still in that growth space. So there's like mad money to be made. And people are trying to understand and getting to know the consumer. And the plus person over the past 12 years has been emboldened and empowered with social media. So she's going to speak up and call out and have these conversations, especially when no one was listening to her 12 years ago. I hope that answers. <laughs> yes, that's, it's really helpful. And it kind of is where the industry is at kind of pinpoints it. So let's, let's just say that the argument that you can't make money off of this business is BS. Let's just say everybody agrees with that. It's, it's not true. The, a question, let's kind of break down some of the challenges in this market that traditional brands that have previously not had these sizes face and, and how they can move forward in a way that is good for everybody, good for their business, good for the consumer. So first question is, I think Ann Taylor and Alex, maybe you can go into this. I, I, I if it's not Ann Taylor, it was a, a, someone in the Cena group. Please don't fact check me. We will we will make sure it's Loft. right. Alex, Alex for, for Loft. Okay. So they had, uh, from what I remember reading, and please correct me, they had a, a separate line and decided to to close it and and 
roll some styles into their main line. Is that correct? Only there, I, I believe that they had a separate plus line and they are discontinuing that citing business challenges and they're okay. up to, I believe, a double XL. Okay. So here's my question. Now, Loft, if it's Loft specifically, they are a loungewear brand, so they probably don't have a lot of um, numbered size items, if any. I don't. I haven't looked on their website in recent months. But um, the question for me, for all of you is, and Alex, maybe you can talk about what, what you've heard in the market. And then Alexandra and Marie, I would love to know your opinions of, given that you do have so, such broad knowledge. Does it make sense to have a separate plus line or whatever you're going to call it that is for that consumer specifically? Or does it make sense to just have inclusive sizing that is double zero to, is it 40, Alexander, or 44? It, does that make more sense? Or even if, if you aren't prepared, your supply chain isn't prepared for that for whatever reason, we can also t go into that. I don't know if we'll have time, but um, it was zero to 20 or zero to 18 or what have you. Alex, let's start with you. What are you hearing from brands? What are they deciding to do right now? And like, what what business case are they making for both scenarios? Any brand that's had much success with a larger size range is not segregated. And I'm using that word very deliberately. Is not segregated those sizes to a separate section either on their e-commerce site or um, in stores. The best performing brands are those that have made less of a show of saying they've either launched to begin with, with all of those sizes, or they've made less of a show uh, and, and more of a tell when they do newly introduce those sizes. So they're just uh, in the stores or they're just online. And also, you know, speaking of online in their e-com, the, the uh, fit models are not just sample size, traditional uh, sort of straight sample size, maybe they, they represent a larger, um, a more diverse size range as well as shape, because often as well with, with sample sizes, even in the, the plus or curve um, section, a lot of those bodies, like Marie said, it's, it's not a monolithic thing, like a lot of those bodies tend to look or, or be curvy in all the right ways. And so the brands that have had the most success, again, in making those offerings um, have done the least to emphasize that it's a difference. It's just an extension and it's what they should be doing. Um, I'm sure Alex, Alexandra and Marie want to take it from here. I would um, jump in to say, you know, part of the challenge and the frustration, like in an ideal world, Yes, like we could go anywhere and know that our sizes are carried, but because there's still these stigmas around or images painted around what a plus size person is, even the word plus size, some people feel so put off on, whereas in the community, like we have embraced it because it's not a pejorative, it is just a descriptor, like when you're looking for a red stock, like, okay, where's the plus stuff, like, because industry versus aspiration has long been separating things. So even though there are changes being made, shout outs to you, Alexandra, that, you know, there's still a long ways to go in regards to the full inclusion. So if a brand does carry plus size, especially oftentimes like, you know, speaking to Loft, for example, 
they carried plus sizes, but didn't include all the cute stuff. So their selections were very casual. And it's funny, Lauren, that you mentioned them as a loungewear brand because they identify themselves as like a lifestyle, like for everyone and everything. So I think even that was part of their challenge and like how the everyday person, like I was like, oh, you guys are where to work. No, we are these things. And I'm like, mm, well, like, so they didn't, you know, so they have their, their idea of what they were as a brand versus like what the, what the world kind of perceived them as. And so that became kind of confusing in terms of messaging. But when you pair that next to plus sizes, so they didn't bring them in store or they had them in store, but then they pulled it out. Right. And then relegated her to online. So that's telling one message that's saying, oh, we're going to date you in the dark. Right. Like we don't want to be seen in public with you because that's how the plus size consumer is, is receiving that message. Right. So when you relegate them to online, when you have physical doors, that is one message. And then when your options that you have, all the really cute, fun, playful pieces are only in the straight sizes and you have all the very essential pieces or the basics only being given in plus that tells another message that, oh, you can't have the fun stuff, right? So when these brands are including or thinking about including plus, they have to be mindful about the nonverbal messaging that they're sending out through marketing about the inclusion. Like, and then oftentimes in all of the, again, all the marketing, all the imagery, all the everything, it doesn't include anyone plus. Or if they do include someone plus, they're so small on the end of plus where someone has to look twice to be like, oh, is this a plus size model? How is this gonna look on me? And so when it comes to um, brands and how they, you know, where they kind of miss the opportunity speaking to like, for example, this one, give us the marketing, give us the same assortment. And again, this is something that, you know, universal standard, you're going to find every single piece in every single size, and you're going to see it on a variety of different models, and you're going to see it so that you can just follow along with the model and be like, oh, okay, she kind of looks like me. Oh, that's how it's going to look because I got a little stomach like her. There is a comfort and a trust that's built by what you're literally putting out there visually, brand messaging-wise, and, accessi and accessibility-wise. And Unfortunately, not only did that happen with Loft, but then they didn't even tell anyone. They only responded to a post on, on Instagram. That is how they a, a announced that news. You know what? I, I'm just going to fact check myself immediately. I was thinking of Lou and Gray, another brand in that family. That's the loungewear brand. I apologize. Loft is like between Ann Taylor and Lou and Gray. But the fact that I did that means that they have some issues. So mm -hmm. I, I think Lou and Gray is great, but it, but um, my, my question, I guess, it, I guess we could move to Alexandra on this. What do you think about this? Like, how do you think <clears throat> it, as, as we, as Marie said, this isn't a monolith, like as someone who represents this, a thought leader in this community, what do you think these companies should be doing? Do you agree with Marie? Or do you I think 100 percent? I agree with Marie. There is what's happening is this is a culture change. It's not an apparel change. It's a culture change. And that kind of thing does not happen in one move. 
So do we need nomenclature that people still recognize and can orientate through the, the internet? I, of course we do. Do, you know, do, do we think that as long as we're the other, we're gonna be the lesser? Yeah, we will. All of those things are true at the same time. But just like putting on a pair of braces to straighten your teeth, you know, those first weeks and every time they're tightened in order to straighten your teeth and make them right, there's going to be pain and there's going to, you know, it's a progressive thing. It doesn't happen in one go. You have to respect the community in the sense that, yeah, keep your eye on a North Star. The North Star is, you know, all of us as we are being able to walk into any store and get whatever we can afford and want to buy and whatever it is. But it's not going to happen in one go. We have to learn to speak to a consumer that has been not just ignored by belittled, you know, for such a long time, you know, people are, are deprived of dignity for so long that, you know, it's an emotional, an emotional minefield, you know, and for us, the way we handle it is, you know, I often say, and, and you know, it makes people go, what? But universal standard is not about body positivity. Body positivity is a personal journey. It's an incredibly important personal journey for a brand to tell you how you should feel about your body just doesn't seem right to me. We're an apparel brand. We make clothes. You know, that is our job is to provide you with options. And that should be everybody's focus. You know, we should not be telling you how to feel about, you know, your self-worth. <laughs> Um, that's a different subject. And I think that many of the plus size brands have muddied those waters for so long. I feel like those very important things have kind of been hijacked in order to, so to sell frocks. And my answer to that is just, just make clothes, concentrate on great engineering, fantastic fabrication. Don't belittle the consumer by just throwing any old thing at them, knowing that they're so desperate that they're going to dig through that pile. It should be absolutely everything that is available to smaller women is available to all the rest of us. That seems like such a no brainer that I am still baffled by the fact that we're trying to, to talk the industry into this because it is absolutely to the benefit of everyone concerned. So well, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, there's, you know, to some of those points you made, like, the muddying of the waters with body positivity, interestingly enough, body positivity, the, the, the creation of that word came from the plus space. It was hijacked by the straight size brands, not plus. And those straight size brands are the ones who literally kind of, you know, started bringing in smaller models. There's to the point now where people have stopped using the term body positivity and have started using um, either body neutrality or um, fat positivity because it had been hijacked by mainstream fashion. And so that kind of conversation, like, so like in that piece right there, like you're right, it has been muddled and hijacked, but the social responsibility, the, the connection, the yes, you may be an apparel brand, but in these days, especially in today's age, where culture and what you stand for are so important. Like people are looking and wanting to know where these brands, where their values are and how they connect. Because to that point, 
Yes, it's an apparel brand, but if I have a connection to this brand and this brand gets me and understands, there's more of a, people are now leading with their emotions and feelings and and checking values, especially over the past two years, more specifically within the last year, they're buying with their values. But every brand, even myself as a media platform, I have a social responsibility to connect and to be aware with, to the community that I'm serving. So on one hand, yeah, we are business, we're in here to make money and to serve. But on the other hand, we all have an inherent social responsibility. So there is going to be that piece where if something does happen, someone is going to call it out. Like that because they have that connection to you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
I think it's very important actually that when I say we make clothes, I'm not saying we're here to make money. <laughs> um, I think that's a given of any business, but that's not our goal ever. And I think that what I'm trying to say is that brands need to put their money where their mouth is, because that's quite right. often what I'm seeing is plus size brands telling you what you should do with your body. They don't make bodies. They make clothes. And if they paid more attention to making great quality clothes that include all of us, then we wouldn't have this, this feeling of, you know, being a hamster in a hamster wheel where we can't seem to get far enough with this topic. I think that platforms like your, your, your platform, other platforms that talk about the space have every right to talk about, you know, everything that encompasses it, including body positivity and how you should feel and all those things. But as a manufacturer of clothing, my job is to make sure you have what you want when you want it and not talk the talk of this body is made for that and this body is made for this. Well, that's great. But, you know, why don't you make some really great clothes for this body <laughs> and talk about the clothes? That's my feeling also as an end consumer. I don't want to be talked down to. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm some, something that needs to be, you know, pampered or helped up or, you know, it's one of the reasons we don't use, use the word inclusivity. We try to avoid that because inclusivity implies exclusivity. <laughs> inclusivity says like, please let us in. Can you open the doors, you know, include us. We like to use the term equality. This is about equality. Make the stuff that you make for her, make it for me. I shouldn't have to ask for that. It's a no brainer. And, and that I is the market that we want to build. And I think too, like your way, like in terms of like the cycle or like, you know, where we are is like, you know, like your way over here, right? Like you're ahead of, like you're literally leading, but, it, but there has to be something to be said for acknowledging like what inclusivity means because the fashion world is inherently exclusive. So plus people are looking for those, those words or those permissions or invitations. So on one hand, like, yeah, like equality. Okay. But for that everyday plus person, she's not going to know what that is. Like she wants to know she can be included. So she's going to come and she's going to be like, Oh, they're including me. I mean, for you, like you're, you're, you have the advantage of your marketing is literally expressing that right but we have to be mindful of like where you may be where i may be is not where everyone else is versus like and that's literal in brand and in personal journey. no question yeah so, i agree so with that the only thing that i would say is this is exactly what i'm talking about like i 100% agree with you that there is there is a movement that is happening and we it's a progression and it has to be allowed to come online what we want to do as a brand is we want to live over there already. We want to be a beacon, an example of how it can be done, of, of how it should have been done all along, of what the future will look like. So we're trying to actually be what we purport to be. You know, there's, there's equality across gender, across age, across size, across race, across disability, it's about all of us as we are. And we don't want to, I think that, that there is enough, there are enough brands out there that need to slowly sort of 
come on board and speak the language. We want to be on that side of things. We want to be that litmus test to show the industry that this works. This doesn't just work because it's, you know, being nice to, you know, a certain group of consumers who have been ignored. It works because women want access to clothing. And this is how everything should eventually be. So there is that eventually, I agree with you, but I also think it's important to to live to have a living example of what it can be and it should be to the absolute benefit of everyone involved. This is not just for the consumer. It's to the benefit of the industry. From the creative side, it makes you much more creative and you know, and interesting. Beauty is becoming so much broader and so much more inclusive. The concept of what is attractive, the concept of what is covetable, you know, looking at a, a size 18 woman and say, I want to be this girl, you know, that was almost never done before. But I want a size six to be able to look at a size 18 girl and go that like that looks really amazing. I want to look I want this outfit. This is what I want to look like. I want to be this girl. That's the world that I eventually want to get to. And that's what we're trying to be as close to as possible at the moment. I, I love this. This is one of the best conversations we've ever had on, on this. And, and I just want to say everyone listening is getting a free hour of consulting from you too, <laughs> because it's, and Alex, of course, it's so important. I, I think this like spectrum of, of Alexandra and, and Universal Standard being the directional brand, but Marie's point about the fact that like not only are not all brands there, but not all consumers are there yet because they've been fed this other thing for so long. It's, it's all so important. One thing I want to hear from all of you on specifically is imagery, because I've noticed in the last couple of years, you know, with, with everything that's been happening in the last year with Black Lives Matter, with, with um, Stop Asian Hate, with inclusivity in terms of size, in terms of ability, in terms of all these different things. I see it in the marketing. It's not, it's happening. People are putting different people who look that who are not just a straight size, white, blonde, cis woman in their advertising increasingly. I don't, we should, Alex, I don't know if there are, there's data, but I, it would be really hard to, to do that. I, I bet they could do it with Google visual search we could point and i'm sure you have a question lauren but i'll just throw this out yeah um is that edited tracked the uh presence of of plus or non-standard model sizes most recent runway um season and and the prevalence of those models actually decreased from years prior, which isn't, yeah, it was like a marginal decrease, but still it's a decrease nonetheless. And then you know you kind of juxtapose that against the idea that um, you're seeing more of that imagery, imagery, like you said, even on, on magazine covers, or you're seeing somebody like Paloma who had just like a massive season of the last fashion month. And I think it's important to note that representation, this is the same conversation I think I have with a lot of different um, marginalized, when I'm reporting on, on a large, a lot of different marginalized communities, is that representation and, and uh, does not necessarily equal reality, especially when it comes to retail and availability of those things. So sorry to cut you off there. No, it's a really good point I, I was kind of going off on. So it's interesting because 
I feel like I see that more, but I, but it's clearly not true across the board. Um, and maybe it's just the brands that I follow or, or what have you have are a little bit more socially conscious and, and care. I don't want to say care a bit more, but are thinking more about this. Um, but the question I have for all of you in terms of the imagery point, and this is a, a real advice piece that I think the audience would be interested in. Marie, I think you are the one who mentioned this in the beginning. And it was funny, a couple of weeks ago, I was working on a story where a lot of the images were every woman, every model had a different size in the imagery. And there was one image that we were all talking about that would have illustrated a comment about plus size or extended sizes. And to me, this person was not in any way what I would consider. She was a size six and she was very strong, but I did not feel like it was an appropriate image to put to illustrate this point in my story. And we had, and there were people on the team who said, no, that is not a size zero. So it goes into this other box. And it's just a point of, and we ended up working it out, but it's a point of like with, with brands themselves and they're thinking about this and and you mentioned they'll, they'll, they'll say they have a plus size, but it's like a size 10 or sometimes a size eight. And you're like, is that person plus that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. It does. It's not, it, it doesn't, it's not a larger body. Why is this being billed as that? Like if you, if you went into an office today and a brand said, like how many fit models or how many, because it used to be, they could have two, they'd have a redhead and a blonde. Now they, now that's not enough. And I mean, not that it ever was, but they need to have a more variety of models wearing the product on their product pages in particular and in their advertising campaigns for sure. But I think it's interesting to talk about the product pages what would you all advise brands to do in terms of having a mix of of models to represent all the different people who they who they are trying to reach? Maria and Alexander, I'm curious. Alexander, you have models of of every type on your on on Universal Standards site, so I'm curious to know what you all think. Like, if if a brand asked you, how many different types of models should I have? And like, because if I can only hire four. So that's what my the answer has. is always going to be as many as possible, you know, and I think that you should try. This is where authenticity lives. Like, don't just talk about it. Do it. Show it. Show those bodies. And, you know, don't don't like Marie Denise says, like, you know, uh, I love you in the dark. Like, don't try to say we have plus size, but never show a woman who actually looks plus size. That is absolutely ridiculous. Or don't show. You know, if you're going to show a pair of jeans on a size four and you're worried that somebody bigger is not going to understand that, make sure, you know, you show both sizes or leave it be. This is a size four and the next pair of jeans is shown only on a size 24. Whoever is not part of that is going to have to judge their eyes and imagine or do what we try to do, which is see it in your size and photograph it actually on the entire range of models per size. I think that you just have to, the desire has to be there. And I think that quite often, part of the reason that this hasn't taken off is because there's a conflict between wanting the money, but not really wanting to commit to the change. And the change is a cultural change. And you have to, it's got to be led by the change, not by the money. You can't be aiming for the money and hoping that you're going to 
to grow a brand that has true representation and true value to all consumers. You have to really do that work. And then, you know, the success will hopefully follow, but it has to be that way around. I would say that there's a couple different things here. So you have the agencies, the modeling agencies, who, to your point, Lauren, like after their size six, they immediately throw them on the board. Or when a, a, a designer asks for a size 16 model, she sent a 10 who pad, who tries to pad up for the 16. Or, you know, so then it's like chicken or egg, right? Which one comes first? Like, so it's dealing with the modeling industry itself, right? And understanding and showing that these plus models can sell the hell out of clothing. So give us the models that they're asking for. When they ask for the 16s and the 18s and the 20s, give them. If you don't have them, that means you need to go and sign some more models to give more representation. That's like one side. But then you also have the, the isms that are attached to this, right? So you have like the, the classism, the racism, the ableism, the, all these isms that are attached when people think of plus, like they're, they think they're automatically thinking like, oh, the plus size woman doesn't spend money on herself because she's in a work in progress or she's waiting to lose weight before she, like all these other things. Like you don't ascribe any of those thoughts to the straight size consumer, no matter how much any woman, like a woman's naturally gonna go up and down. Like, especially I have learned is I'm knocking on 40, right? So like a woman's going, her body's going to change, but they ascribe all these specific negative type of things to a plus person that they wouldn't even dare think for their straight size consumer. And so it's really learning how to unlearn and break down all of these isms and really understand who you're serving or who your brand serves as a whole and then carving out that consumer. So then you can give her the imagery that reflects back so that she will shop. One of the first brands that I saw, besides from Universal Standard, was like Good American. Like they have, like you can literally shop by model size and, and that model is like saved in your cookies. So when you go and look at different things, like, oh, okay, that's the 18 model. Okay, I know that, that that's what it's gonna look like on me, right? You're starting to see more brands starting to play around with technology or tech enabled tools to help them better serve the consumer. And so for me, like, it's really about like, unlearning all those tropes, those marketing tropes that have been stereotyped to the plus consumer and understand she's got money to spend. You just can't, you no longer can just build it and think they'll come. You can't be lazy about your, um, about approaching like, oh, here it is. We did it. We spent this money. Oh, and to like, to Alex, to Alexandra's point, you can't just give it a season and then like throw it to the curb or not even a full year or not even a full, like full four seasons. And then all of a sudden you want to um, throw it to the side because if we kind of take it, go back to like the loft example, business was hurting, but in their, to their point, they have sold out every time and almost every single piece in their plus business. But instead of businesses hurting through the Rona, they sold out in their plus pieces. So instead of, adjusting their buy on their straight size side, you know, you know, cutting back on sizes and how deep they buy on this side, they completely ax. So that tells us you really didn't care. You don't, you, you didn't really want our dollars. You just wanted to do it to say that, oh, we tried it. And so that becomes lazy. That becomes, that kind of goes back to all those isms. And so it's like really like 
And the plus consumer, she's smart. She can sniff that out. So if you really want to engage and really want to, like, you have to give her a holistic approach from imagery to marketing messaging to um, even how you engage and have conversation with her. Sorry, I can go on these tangents forever. No, it's it's fantastic. So I want to ask one small question about pricing. And and Alexandra, you might be the best person to hit this. And maybe Alex, you could jump, all three of you jump jump in if you have something. I, I love covering inventory management and supply chain management. It's, it's my favorite topic. But one thing that I keep thinking about is unit size for these bigger companies. I could see them saying, I know how these businesses work. Alexander, can you talk a bit about why that is? Is that another thing that's kind of BS of like, they're, they're selling out on this. Marie says they're selling out on this stuff. So they're clearly making enough or, or not enough of the product from a size range perspective and having that product availability. And if you are a $500 million, $200 million brand, and you're worried about inventory management, and you already have a lot of problems with inventory management because you make way too much stuff and you have a bunch of crap at the end of the season, you don't know where to sell it, you have to burn it, whatever you do with it. From your perspective, as you've built up out universal standard and built out the sizing range, especially because you're you are you know not you're not the gap or what have you, how is the pricing and the number of units, all of that stuff factoring in? Do you think that that is a challenge for these bigger brands, or do you think that that's another kind of false claim that they that they can't really back up? It's both. It's a challenge and it's overcomable. I mean, everything is a challenge when you were running a business. The point is, you know, to take the challenge on. When you have an audience, a huge audience waiting, you should care about how well you do this and how you speak to them and what you're actually bringing to this consumer aside from, oh, by the way, we also make bigger sizes. They, you know, they're the quality is terrible or they don't really look like the rest of the stuff or we only do it for three of the products out of the 300 that we offer in smaller size. All of it is good. It's all moving in the right direction. But if you do it really properly, you know, it is absolutely doable and it is a win, 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 win. Yeah, it's a huge size range. There is an inventory, you know, conversation to be had. But we also see what sizes sell? We learn from every single month of sales. What's working? You know, we ask the questions, why is it not working? Or, you know, should we lean more into this, more into that? If your double zeros are not selling as fast as your 18, then you buy less double zeros. And then you adjust, you keep adjusting until you, you have it as close and as tight as possible. For us, you know, we're a seasonless brand. We try to be a seasonless brand. We have a lot of perennials that we repeat over and over and over because they're so popular with customers. We don't have a problem with really understanding where where some of these pieces are going to go. So our inventory is pretty tight. We also, um, you know, have this thing called, um, oh God, I'm going to blank out on it now, um, where you can buy... Um, your size, exactly your size. And then you have a year. If you go up in size or down in size, we'll exchange it for you for free Mm -hmm. after a year of use. This is talking about the consumer and really understanding relating to that consumer, you know, because we all go up and down. 
So why should there be this, this, you know, this stick that comes with everything you buy that you beat yourself up with, you know, cause I'm, I'm going to get this a little bit too small cause I'm losing weight or this me doesn't deserve this. You know, the, the, the me that deserves this is the one that's around the corner, the better me caring about the consumer and, and the loyalty of, of a consumer who has been ignored by the fashion industry for so very long are incredibly worth it. And they, you know, they really show you love every single day. So do the work. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of work. And if you're making a size 40 dress, you're using more fabric, there's more fabric waste, you have to use a specific factory, because maybe they don't, you know, have the tools to make clothes, and, but it's all doable. And you should charge the same amount for a size double zero as you start charge for a size 40, especially in luxury brands where the markup is, you know, I mean, you're selling a dress for $6,000, <laughs> you know, there's a healthy markup in that you can do whatever you want in whatever size. So there's very little excuse to exclude, you know, so many women. And, and I would also say to um, higher, higher fat people, higher plus size people, because I can't tell you how many of these plus size retailers or um, designers or brands that don't have any plus size people on their marketing, their retail, their merchandising, their like any of those those areas. And there have been times where I've sat across the table from someone and they're like, would you guys wear this? And I and I will push back. Would you? Why do you think it's a completely different set of styling choices and parameters because of my size. I like fashion. And I, and I remember it was a round table discussion and I literally pushed back to her. I'm like, would you wear it? She's like, well, no. I said, then why would you think I would? And I think oftentimes like people, you know, oh my God, you know, she's not going to want to, you know, let's, let's take a skirt for example, right? Like you'll see it on the straight size girl. It's like fitted. It's got like this cool split. It's got all these things, you know, it's a thigh high split. It comes to plus it's shapeless. It's a box. The slip is only an inch high. You're like, this is not the same thing, right? If you had plus people on your team and part of, and part of the process, that would help give context understanding. And if you don't, hire folks like us who are experts in this field, who understand the community, the consumer, and the market. And it's really sometimes dumbfounding, like how people will, will, they think they know best. We're coming to save you. And, and it's like, girl, we've got our folks right here. These people have been serving us for X amount of years. Who are you? You have to earn that trust and understanding. You can't just pop up on the scene. I mean, some brands do, but you could tell that they've done their work because they're speaking specifically directly to us. But those who are like, oh yeah, we've just extended sizes. There's no marketing, there's no inclusion, there's nothing. And then they'd be like, oh, well, we closed it because you guys didn't really want it. Did we know about it? To this day, we wrote about like Loft closing their doors. And I had readers in my comments like, Loft carried plus sizes? It comes back to this idea of, I think brands, even, you know, Alex and I in particular have been like out plus size, putting in quotes, figuring out like what is the correct language. And I think a lot of, these as reporters we're always trying to figure out like what is what is the right language for things and i think a lot of these brands are like well they want to do what alexandra's doing which is the most progressive thing but then marie your point of 
but you have to explain to people that it exists and they're missing that. But it, I think, I feel like to me, this comes back to a deep seated discrimination that still exists, even if people are talking about it when they have, they weren't talking about it 10 or five years ago, even it still it clearly exists. And it feels like both of you have part of your work is to be like, this exists. And, and that's, that makes you activists in some way as well. Marie, Alexander, Alex, thank you all so much for this conversation. Oh thank you. Thank I've you. I really enjoyed it. If you all, I have a feeling people are going to want to get in touch with you. If you want to get in touch with Marie or Alexandra, email me and I will talk to them and try to facilitate that. If you have any further questions or story ideas for Alex or me, we're firstname.lastname at businessoffashion.com. Thank you so much to the BOF Live team. They do so much work on, on these events and we're so grateful we just show up and, and they're perfect always. So we're thankful to them. And obviously thank you to the community. We really appreciate you. If you have any ideas for stories, as, as I said, or, or for live events, please, please be in touch and have a really good week. And I will see you next week. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, podcast listeners can benefit from a 25% discount on your first year of an annual membership using the code PODCASTPRO. That's podcast P-R-O. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Venetia Van Horn Alcama, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. 